Amen. This morning, we're very privileged to have Steve Jones and his uh, wife, Sue, here with us. Steve has been a pastor for many, many years. Um, more recently, he was at First Missionary Fort Wayne up in, uh, as the senior pastor uh, in Fort Wayne. And then he became the uh, district superintendent, regional superintendent of the central region, which is what we're part of. And uh, five years ago, became president of the Missionary Church USA, the denomination. So we are very pleased. He's been out of the country for a week and a half or so, and yet, uh, and in Nashville, Tennessee, right? And has come here with some jet lag. He's here this morning, so we're very thankful to have him here. Would you welcome Steve Jones? Thank you, Mike. Good morning. I do have a serious uh, case of jet lag. Uh, the last few days, um, we went from uh, Thailand to Nashville, and so my times are backwards. So I'm awake at 2 or 3 in the morning for a while, and then I'm probably going to doze off right in the middle of my sermon. If I do that, somebody just come right up and elbow me, and we'll get back on track. It's good to be with you. It's good to represent the missionary church it's such a privilege for Sue and I, and uh, God has given us this, this great task of, of uh, kind of going around and encouraging our churches, encouraging the different mission fields, and God's been doing so much good stuff. You know, I, I was in Thailand, um, and we gathered the presidents of missionary churches, the Missionary Church of India, the Missionary Church of Sierra Leone, the Missionary Church of Nigeria, and Jamaica, and Ecuador, and over and over, all these various presidents of missionary churches. And we just spent the week together, and just to hear what God is doing, and how what the Spirit of God is doing is just exploding everywhere. It's such a privilege. You know, about, I don't know, 15 years ago maybe, uh, we were in 22 countries in the world, and now, as of this morning, we're in 128 countries. Think about that. We give God the glory because we have done nothing to cause that. It's, this, it's the overflow of the Spirit of God. And we've just seen disciple-making tumble across borders into countries we never thought we could get into. And now we have people representing the missionary church and serving Jesus in all these different countries. It's really cool. And uh, so thank you for the privilege of letting me represent you. I want to talk to you out of Revelations chapter 2. By the way, I love your statement on your screens. It's not about the rules. I like that. I wish I could put that in more of our churches, actually. It's not about the rules. Because sometimes, in some places, it really is about the rules. And so I honor you for that. I want to ask you a favor as you get ready to turn to Revelations chapter 2. I'd like you to come to church with me this morning, and you might say, hello, you are jet-lagged, we are in church. But it's not first burn I'm referring to. I want you to come with me to Ephesus, because it's the Lord's Day. And the place, can you come in your imagination with me? The place is packed. I mean, you couldn't get more people in the building. It's probably the largest church, literally, on planet Earth at the time of the writing of the Scripture. Ephesus was the most strong, well-established, wealthy church. It was the megachurch of its day. And even on an ordinary Sunday, it would have been packed out. But this was no ordinary Sunday. 
the unthinkable had happened. And I want to tell you about that. On the morning we visit Ephesus, it has been decades since Jesus raised from the dead and went back to heaven. And so the church has kind of been started and growing. It's been growing. People have been coming to know Jesus. Uh, but they haven't seen him for 50 years or more. And they haven't heard his voice. In fact, the people there in Ephesus had never seen him or never heard his voice. And the church has been spreading throughout the world, but it's been a bloody march. So many people dying for their faith so that others could find out about Jesus. And the apostles themselves. I mean, technically, Judas was the first apostle to die, but of course his was suicide. We know that story. But then came James very soon afterwards, when King Herod decided, I'm going to please the Jews, and I'm going to cause him to be killed. And so Herod said the word, and they thrust him through with a sword on the streets of Jerusalem. And the church is scattered to the four winds by the persecution that rose up at that time. And as the years go by, one by one, the other apostles begin to fall. Thomas fell in India, impaled with swords, for his faith. Philip, tortured to death in Asia Minor, finally finished off, we're told, with a cudgel or a hammer over the head. And the list goes on and on. And as the church watched, the mighty oaks of the apostles began to fall one by one, one by one, until there were less and less. Eventually, both Peter and Paul were reported to have been killed on a road outside of Rome as persecution broke out under the Emperor Nero. It reminds me of this past week when I was with these wonderful people sitting around these tables, and as I sat there, because I've been studying Revelations recently, and as I sat there, I just looked around the table, and you know what? Literally, I thought, you have been in prison for years for your faith. You have been beaten. I've seen the pictures. You have fled for your life. You have sacrificed your job. You have had to flee with your family because the persecution got so... I looked around that room and I was so honored to be sitting there. I'm thinking, this is Acts of the Apostles stuff. These are people that literally, uh, one of my friends literally preached the gospel for the first time in the village he lives in with Muslims holding Kalishnikov rifles to his head, saying, tell us what you have to say. And he said, I was so scared because I knew if I said something, that was the wrong word. That was it. And I'm just so honored to, to work among people like that. And that's the kind of people that the apostles had been, and they'd gone out in this exemplary way everywhere. And now they're gone. The very last one, John, the apostle, the beloved apostle, as they called him, the one that kind of leaned into Jesus and was closest to Jesus in many ways. He called himself the one Jesus loved. And John the apostle, are you still with me in Ephesus? had been our very own pastor here in Ephesus. Can you imagine a church like this planted by the Apostle Paul? Pretty good church planter. And who came as the first pastor? John. You know, James and John, that John. I mean, this church had a pedigree, right? But he's the last one. 
and under the emperor, he had been exiled and was now living on a rocky island in the middle of the Mediterranean, unable to return to them, and they couldn't go to him. And actually, for all anyone knew, it had been years, and they had no idea if he was alive or dead. So they're living in a post-apostle world, trying to keep this movement going, trying to keep the gospel moving forward until this week. Because stunning news had arrived at the church here in Ephesus. A strange letter had been brought by courier from the last living apostle, John. Don't know how it got off the island. Don't know if someone who brought supplies it was smuggled out. We don't know. History doesn't tell us that. But what it tells us is that suddenly Ephesus received a letter from their beloved former pastor. An actual letter. And he was alive. The church immediately was notified. Everybody's going to come together. When we get together on Sunday, we're going to read the letter that John has sent. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you, can you put yourself in that place? And those who'd seen the scroll, maybe peeked at it a little bit, say, yeah, that's John's, all right. No doubt about it. And you know what? Inside of it, there's something they couldn't have even imagined. It's like a text message from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. Oh, they hadn't invented texting yet. Didn't have phones for that. But the message Jesus sent was really about like a text message. It was only 140 words in Greek. But it had been rumored and it was true. In John's letter, John says... Jesus came to me and said, pass this along to the church in Ephesus. And they must have been longing to hear what that letter said. What? Writing from Jesus to us? And that's really short. I've sent texts longer than that. In fact, the Gettysburg Address, which is famous for being so short, was 272 words. This is only 140. And yet it's from him. So the place is packed. Here we sit. The room is on fire with anticipation. And so the elders come and they prepare to open the scroll. And when they do, they look at it and maybe they note aloud, wow, this is actually notes to seven churches. Not just ours, but the, there's others after us. So this scroll, you know, they didn't make copies in those days. It was meant to be read and then passed to the courier who would take it to the next town and read what was said to their church and take it to the next town and read what was said to their church. This was a letter on the move. But of course, first, it went to the megachurch, Ephesus. They were first on the list and no doubt unsurprised by that. Why shouldn't they be the first? Planted by Paul, pastored by John, the biggest church in the world at the time. What a pedigree. And so the elder takes the scroll and he opens it. And I'm going to ask you to do what they would have done in those days. And that is I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading. And that was the way in which it was done in the Middle East in those days. So let's stand together for the reading. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. You'd be thinking, what in the world does that mean? Except the last verse in chapter 1. Look at it with me. The last verse in chapter 1. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, said Jesus to John. Listen, the seven stars are the angels. It means messengers. The word in Greek means the people who deliver the message. Like, like the pastors, it doesn't mean each church had an angel floating around in it. The, the seven people who deliver the message, those are the stars in my hand. He's saying, you know what? Your pastors are in my hand. And then he said this, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 1, these are the words of him who holds the seven pastors in his right hand. Your seven pastors he says to them, and walks among the seven lampstands. In other words, I'm walking among your churches. You may not have known it. You may not have been able to see me, but I've been here the whole time. He continues, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, and aren't, and you've found them to be false. You have persevered, and you've endured for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Yet, what? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, says Jesus, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. What, what's the lampstand? The church. I will come and remove your church from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, says Jesus. Kind of hard to think of the God of love hating, but he hates some stuff. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated. It's hard for us to even imagine the reaction of the people as they hear this letter. Jesus starts his message with praise. He says, you know what? I know what you've been up to. I've been walking among you, and I know what you've been doing. And I guess Jesus would say that to us too. You may not be able to see me, but I'm among you. I see what you do. I see your hard work. There's three things that are mentioned in Greek here. He says, I see your aragon. Those, those are accomplishments. I see your accomplishments, the things you've been able to do. And the second word he uses, kopos, it, it means like an exhausting effort, something that tires you to do it. And he says, I see how hard you're working, sometimes to the point of exhaustion. 
And the last word he uses, hupomene, it means to stick to something, to not quit. And Jesus says, I see that about you too. I see that you have been accomplishing things for my sake. And I see that you have been exhausting yourself for my sake. And I see that you have been sticking to it and you won't give up. And then he said, you know what? Not only that, you don't put up with evil people. You don't put up with them. In fact, if somebody comes along, said they're an apostle, but they were frauds, you found them out. You were not fooled. You checked it out, and you said, you know what? We're not following that. That is not the gospel. And Jesus says, I'm proud of all that. I'm so pleased with all that stuff in you, Ephesus. They had stayed strong. He said, You've stuck to it. You've put up with a lot for my sake. Not only that, but you have worked even when you were tired. They had stayed strong in sacrificial service. Nobody could take that away from them. But now the head elder pauses in his reading, kind of clears his throat nervously before continuing because the letter takes a turn. The next words, but yet... I hold this against you. I suppose people maybe shifted in their seats a little bit, glanced at each other. And I wonder if the elders who knew the Bible best remembered how Jesus, when he preached his very first sermon at his hometown in Nazareth, had started the same way. He'd complimented them, and they'd heard, oh, and the people started saying, oh, this is great. Listen to those gracious words. Listen to the speaker. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the sermon to Nazareth, Jesus' sermon took a turn from the pastoral to the prophetic he said, this needs to be fixed. And in Nazareth, they were so angry. You're the carpenter's boy. How dare you? And the service was over. They stood up. They grabbed him. They dragged him out of the synagogue. You've read it. Nazareth is built on the side of a steep hill. And they took him to that hill, and they were trying to throw him over if it weren't for the grace of God. That's what had happened back then. But here now, they're in Ephesus in a big and well-established church, when that message from Jesus starts to take a similar turn. And so they're listening. How bad is this going to get? He just said, he's got something against us. And what he said was this, you know what? You have been strong in sacrificial service, but you've gotten soft in your sacrificial love. And these words of reproof start to wash over him. You know, start to sink in. He's saying, you know what? You've lost your grip on love. What? Maybe they hadn't even thought about that. They're so hard at work doing his work. He says, in the area of sacrificial love, you're operating at a much lower level than you used to. You were way up here. I, I've been among you. You were right up here. And now you're operating down here. You're not at the level you were at. And you used to be on the cutting edge when it came to loving. Man, do you remember when you were there and everybody's coming together and they're throwing out all their occult stuff and they're burning it and you're welcoming the, the, the witches and the warlocks and everybody come and Jesus is here and, and, and they're burning their books and they're doing all that. Do you remember? Do you remember all the suffering you went through and how much you loved the people who were persecuting you? He says, you were, man, you were right there. But you're, you're not right there. 
And Jesus says, I want you to look back. And you know, when I, when I read this, I, I have to look back. And I start saying to myself, honestly, man, I remember. I remember when I was so in love with Jesus and so in love with people that I would do anything. I'd march into hell if Jesus wanted me to. I'd say, Lord, tell me where to go. I'll talk to anybody. I'll love anybody. I'll take that last and lowest and least person. If you want them throwing up in the front seat of my car, I'll give them a ride home. Lord, you tell me what to do. I never passed someone that was hitchhiking on the road. I, I always thought, here's a chance. I can remember. And I wonder if in that gentle way that Jesus had, if, if he texted me. <laughs> I wonder if a part of that text, a sentence, would be, yeah, you, you know what, you used to love right there. And I want you to love right there again. And maybe for some of you, you could think back and think, man, when I first came to Jesus, I loved him so much. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I couldn't get enough of praying. I wanted to be with him all the time. I kept loving everybody in sight. And some of you might think, you know what? That was a long, I think that was a long time ago. It's as if Jesus is saying so gently, doing work for me is no substitute for loving me. And loving each other. And I think by this moment in Ephesus, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, he says, you need to rethink this whole thing. That's what the word repent means, metanoia, to think new thoughts, to, to think differently, to change your thinking. And he's sort of saying, you know what? You need to think this through again. You need to make some love decisions again, Ephesus. And then came the warning right there in the text. We can't ignore it. He said, if you keep thinking the way you're thinking and just doing what you're doing, I'm going to let the lampstand go out. I'm going to take it. Remove your lampstand. This is super unsettling because Ephesus was the church that all the other churches wanted to be like. It was the largest, most successful church, a powerhouse compared to the others. Only the church in Jerusalem might have been similar, but this church had even surpassed Antioch, which sent Paul out into ministry. And it was at the top of its game, they thought. And Jesus said to this large, wealthy, hardworking church, I'd rather you didn't even exist if you're going to let that love fade until you keep doing the works, but you don't show the love anymore. Man, this challenges me, and it convicts me. Because I can be like the disciples were sometimes when, when Jesus was still on earth. I think about how they were. You know, they got thinking that because they were busy, they were important. That's the American way to think. And the busier they got, the more important they thought they were. Uh, but it wasn't the case, really. Might have not been visible to most people who stood there and saw them with Jesus, but every now and then it slipped out. Maybe you remember, any of you remember when some moms decided to bring their babies to Jesus? Anybody remember? Nobody's read the Bible in this church. <laughs> right? I mean, they bring their babies. Uh, somebody says, you know, Mark 10, somebody, uh, would you... 
Would you hold my, my baby, Jesus? Would you, would you bless my baby a little bit? And everybody's watching, right? Well, you know how it goes. The first brave mother says that. Jesus says, sure. So what do all the other mothers say? Wait, 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 wait. I don't want my baby left out. I want you to hold my baby. Plus my baby, too. This would have been like a stampede, right? So all of a sudden, the disciples are like, this is getting out of hand. And they switch from disciple mode to secret service mode. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. You know, if they'd had dark glasses, they'd have put them on real quick. And they're big shots now. We are the ones who decide access and know those snotty-faced little kids. No. They were putting themselves in a lot of peril. Uh, have you ever heard of mama bears? I mean, you don't want to get between a mama and whatever's going to bless her kids. They could have been stampeded from this way, but the thing that really blindsided them was the wave that hit them from behind. Because suddenly the voice of Jesus, and he is not happy. Mark chapter 10 tells us he was indignant, which is sort of like, you don't want to be standing here right now. Remember, this is the man who, though he looked like everyone else, in the middle of a raging storm, when it started scaring his disciples, said, stop that. And it went still as glass. This is the man who, when he found someone so demonized, there were legions of demons infesting this man. Jesus said, you come out of them. Come out of him. And they came. And now that look in his eyes, that look he could get in his eyes, maybe for the first time, it's locked on the disciples. Long story short, they back off. And the moms bring the kids. And that scene ends, Mark chapter 10, and says Jesus held them in his lap and he puts his hands on them and he's blessing them. See, Jesus is saying, listen, you've slipped into thinking. We got things to do. We got places to go. We're busy. But Jesus says, I am about love. Don't you get between me and loving my people. Don't you get between me and loving the ones I made. So they back off. And, and I can see that in myself. I can think, well, you know, we, we're too busy. Or we got, we got all this stuff to do. And sometimes the Lord would say, are you too busy to love? Because I'm not. And I run the universe. And it convicts me. Kind of reminds me of Martha. Martha thought that Serving well was what Jesus wanted. But Jesus wanted FaceTime with Martha. He wanted, he wanted eye time with her. You know, he's like, um, I don't need a caterer, Martha. I could take a little boy's lunch and make steaming banquets for 5,000 people. Right? Take the apron off, because I, I just want, if you wouldn't mind, I want... I want to just have it be you and me for a bit, just like I'm being with Mary. But we could get into that mindset so easily. Jesus is saying, listen, keep my priorities in view. My priority is always love me. I want to love you, and I want you to love each other. And then Jesus takes it more positive. He says, you know, but at least you got this. You hate what, you hate what I hate. 
If you ever want to do an interesting Bible study sometime, study from Genesis to Revelations the things that the God of love hates. It's interesting. In this case, it was the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans said basically this. Okay, look, we'll go and we'll go to church and we'll worship God, but we will live as immoral as we want because we don't think God really cares about that. We think it's probably okay with God that we do what we want with our bodies, with whoever, as long as we're in church. And Jesus says, I hate that. And thank you, Ephesus, for hating it too. But the thing that I get out of this as I study this is it's not enough to hate what Jesus hates if we don't love the way that Jesus loves. You know what? I could take my phone out and I could start looking at any website, any news, and I could see a lot of stuff I hate in this world. Do any of you see things happening that you hate in this world? Evil deeds? You say, are you kidding me? Every time you think it couldn't get worse, you go, what? And it's a weariness. And we go, you know what? I hate that. And the Lord says, yeah, I hate it too. But it doesn't make me stop loving. And for you and I, I guess we have to realize, it, okay, it's not bad. It's good to hate that evil. But that doesn't mean we got to start hating people. We've got to stay loving to those even that are doing that stuff. Well, now the command from our commander is in verse 7. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, churches. Listen for the voice of the Spirit. Jesus uses a phrase that he used a lot when he was still on earth. So, I mean, this is like, yeah, that's Jesus, all right. No doubt that's him. All the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they'd all described that Jesus sometimes said this weird phrase, if you have ears, hear this. Whoever has ears, let him hear. It's like, that's an odd phrase. You don't hear it from anybody else. And he's saying it now from heaven. If you have ears on the side of your head, I want you to use them because I'm about to say something, and I want you to hear it. And what I'm saying is, listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to do. Jesus is sort of saying, you know what? I've been talking to you the whole time. I've been wanting you to love people the whole time. I've been whispering in your ear, that's a person I love. That's someone you need to reach out to. That's someone you need to forgive. That's a person that needs me. I know they're acting evil, but they need Jesus. The Spirit is talking to us. He's talking to us, and Jesus says, I want you to listen to him. I don't know what you think about what I'm about to say next. It's a little weird. I was in prayer this morning for my message and for these services, and I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, pretty specifically, that there would be someone here, I don't know if it's in first service or second service, someone here who damaged a relationship this week by being unloving. I felt like the Lord said to me, it's someone who wouldn't come at, the, at the, your usual time. Uh, and, and that this was someone he was thinking of very specifically. I don't know who it is, and I'm not asking to know who it is. But I felt in my prayer life that the Lord said to me, you think that what happened was a paper cut, but it was a knife wound. And I want you to make that right. I want you now to fix that relationship. That thing is bleeding. 
and you don't have time to waste. And I don't know who that was, and that's between the Spirit and you if you're in here, or maybe, maybe it was first service. But the thing that it strikes me to say again is, you know what? It's so important that we keep these relationships pure, that we keep them healthy between us. And if that is you, if you're the one I'm speaking to, this isn't a paper cut thing, man. It isn't just, oh, that hurt a little bit, everything's fine. No, make it right. Whoever it was and with whoever it was, make it right. It's at risk. Well, Jesus ends this text to us with a promise. He says, I want you to win this battle over loveless busyness. Because you know what? If you are victorious over this, I can't wait someday soon to welcome you back into this intimate relationship with me that's happening just like it did in the Garden of Eden. There is a relationship that is the deepest longing of your soul. Some of you know it. Some of you don't. If you don't have that relationship, and I don't mean if you're a Christian or not, I mean if you don't have an everyday conversational relationship with the Holy Spirit. I mean if you're not walking with Jesus and telling him about your day and, and listening for his voice. If you don't have that, you're not flourishing no matter how healthy you are. And you're not rich no matter how much money you have. And you're not content no matter how many experiences you enjoy. If you've noticed that popularity hasn't brought you what you thought it would or, or, or wondered why all of the things that should have satisfied you have left you feeling discontented, I want to say something. It's not because you're defective. It's not even because you're going through a little depression. It's because you are homesick for a relationship that you have never yet experienced. You were made for something amazing. A person in a walk and talk and listen relationship with their creator. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. It's so life-giving. Jesus says it's just like going back to the tree of life. It's just like, here, eat this and live forever. And he says, I can't wait to give you that in person in paradise. My grandmother is 107 years old. 107. Lives in her own house, cooks her own food. Strong. Takes less pills than I do. Has a better memory than I do. But the years are taking their toll. There are two kinds of life in Greek, bios and zoe. Bios is biology. It's body life. And Grandma, for all her spiritual strength, her bios is breaking down. So she moves slower than she ever has. You have to talk louder to talk, have her hear. She uses a cane when she's moving about the kitchen, cooking her meals. She's got to eat carefully because bios is life that comes from eating dead stuff. Did you ever think about that? You have life because you eat dead stuff. How's that happen? Life comes from death. Take an animal, you kill it, make it into a quarter pounder, right? <laughs> Take some grain, you kill it, make it into the bun. You got to kill something to live. 
You're feeding off other life is what you're doing. Bios feeds off other life. It's temporary life. It decays. It's not permanent. And it only is propped up as long as you keep bringing uh, recently dead things from somewhere else and sticking them inside you. And Grandma's bios is going to end pretty soon. But if you met her this morning and looked into her snapping brown eyes, you'd see something much more alive in there than her body would indicate. You'd see Zoe. You'd see the passionate love and life of a relationship with Jesus that's gone on now for 80-something years. And she said to me one time, you know, Steve, every morning I get up and I go look in the mirror and I'm startled at the old lady looking back at me. She said, inside of myself, I feel as young as I ever was. I feel like I'm fresh and new like a teenager. But she says, my body says no. Because what? She's experiencing that Zoe life inside of herself, and she can't wait to see him face to face. If your life has gotten a little decayed, and you're having to stick stuff in it and prop it up and try to keep it going, let me just say to you as I wrap up this message, there is a better life. You are made for a dual operating system. You can keep operating on BIOS or you can flip to Zoe and say, how good can life be when what I'm feeding on is the living bread who gave his life for me? How good can life be when I can absorb into me the nutrients of the omnipotent God who said, this is my body for you and this is my blood? Brothers and sisters, if we learn anything from Revelations chapter 2, it's this. Our life has a shelf life, and we don't know when that's going to expire. But during the days that we are here, God wants us to say, deep in our spirits, you're made for more. I didn't make you just to do work. I didn't make you as one of the ants on the anthill. I know you. I love you. You matter to me. I want a relationship with you. I want to talk to you, man to man, man to woman. I want that relationship. And if you will enter into that, you are going to reach a level of life and love that you have never known. Jesus said, it was the devil who came to drain your life like a vampire. He came to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have zoe, it says in Greek, that life that is really life and abundance of it. Do you know him? Have you leaned into that relationship with him? Are you listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells you what Jesus wants in every single day and every circumstance you're in? If so, you are entering into life. And it is worth having. We sing a song sometimes. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, ye creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But after listening to Revelation 2, I wonder if maybe sometimes we should sing it, love. Love God. I, in fact, as the words would say, if I wrote it that way, love God from whom all blessings flow. Love him, you creatures here below. Love him above, you heavenly host. Love, Father, Son, 
and Holy Ghost. And in that love is life. Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is deep, and it gives us a lot to chew on, but it's accessible to us, and, and, and it makes promises to us that wake longings in us, longings that we didn't know we had when we walked in here this morning. But your word is powerful and living and active, and it, it tears back the veil and lets us look into spiritual truth. And I pray, Father, that anyone within the sound of my voice this morning if they have been living the dog-eat-dog life, if they have been living the weary and wearying life, maybe even been faithful, and you know it and you're pleased, but yet, Lord, they need that renewal of love. I pray that you would give them that as a gift from your Spirit, that they would change the way they think and focus first on loving you and loving each other and find life refreshed again to be what it could be. And I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Would you please thank uh, Steve this morning? Um, we're going to, just before we go, we're going to stand. And I'd like to have Steve and his wife, Sue, come out. And we're going to pray for them. Um, leading a congregation is one thing. Leading an entire denomination uh, is not the easiest, as you would know. And so I'd like for, go ahead and stand. Thank you for those people who did it uh, on command over here. Um, uh, God's blessing. And I'm going to invite Brian to come. If you, from wherever you are, if you want to just reach out your hand and you kind of be a part of the prayer as well, Brian uh, will pray for them and then we'll get uh, going. Heavenly Father, first we just thank you for the challenge this morning. Each one of us, Lord, could stand to walk closer to you. Help us, Jesus. Each one of us, Lord, needs to draw unto you, lean into you as Steve challenged us. Father, we just pray for Steve and Sue as... You have gifted them with the opportunity to lead our missionary church, United States. We just thank you, Lord, for the passion they have, Lord Jesus, to see the church know you better. And we just pray for their continued work, for the many hours of travel they put in, for the many hours of, of effort, Lord Jesus. Just bless that time and time again in their lives, Father, as they pour into others, Lord, that which you have given to them. We just thank you for the opportunity to hear your word this morning as Steve brought it. We just ask, Lord, that you would just be with them now as we, as we all leave today. We just ask, Father, that each one of us would take something away today that um, would draw us closer to you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless. We'll see you next week.